Well, I am a thinker. Um, I do a lot of thinking. I know I do a lot of talking, but I do actually do a lot of private thinking. I mull over a bunch of things. And at the moment, I think the, the leadership of the church, we're doing a lot of thinking at the moment. We're doing a lot of thinking about the vision of the church and the mission of the church and who is the Oak Community Church. And that's been a really great exploration. We're still on that journey, and it's been really cathartic I think actually and quite soul searching to kind of go who are who are we who has God called us to be what do we see at work and in the midst of us kind of coming back and going so what are those anchor points I think one of the things that you know above all that just causes you to go and realize that we're not just here for no reason God has called the Oak Community Church to be here for a reason not just to exist, not just to turn up, not just to go through rituals and routines. And equally, God has called you into this place to call it your home, to call it the place where you fellowship for a reason. And so I wonder what that is. Why has God called you to be part of the Oak Community Church? And why has God called us here as a body of believers to do what? One of the consistent strap lines the things that defined and defines the church is this phrase you'll see it on the signboard out there and most of the literature we ever produce which is we're called to impact our community with the love of god called to impact our community with the love of god it causes a question around well what is community and just to kind of broaden your perspective Clearly, where we live is a community. But where you live is a community. Where you work is a community. Where you study is a community. The people you socialize with is a community. Even the social network of people that you have through various connections is a community. We here are a community. And it's in that broad definition of all those communities we anchor to the fact that God has called us to impact our community with the love of God. How do you do that? How do you really impact lives and communities with the love of God? If you were here last Sunday, you'd have heard me just pick up on something that I felt the, the Spirit saying from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read this to you. It says... If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. I want to speak this morning about a love that changes the world. This love that I, I, I spoke briefly about last week and I want to focus on this week. This love is one that makes a massive difference whether you are with it or without it. Without this love, we are a noise. We're just a clanging symbol. We have nothing to gain, nothing to boast about, no impact to make. We're just a din 
without it. And with it, I believe we're transformational. This love is a love that changes the world. And I've got to be honest with you, as I stand to preach about this this morning, and as I've been allowing my thinking and meditating on this, I've realized that there aren't enough words. And you could do a study of love, but it really wouldn't cut it. There's something about experiencing love. And that leaves me quite overwhelmed as to how do you ever preach about that. I was really struck last week when Annie was preaching. And I was blessed by all of it. But like when you read the Bible and a particular verse jumps out of you, Annie read something in the midst of a number of scriptures she used. And um, it was from Romans 12. And just when she was there, I kind of stopped listening for a little bit. I started reading it and God was speaking to me in a little private sermon while Annie was speaking and just maybe that happens to you as well. You kind of, I don't mean you go off thinking about the shopping or going for a picnic, but I mean sometimes God, times, sometimes God speaks and then he carries on a little, having a little speak to you and he had a speak to me about Romans 12 and it just kept speaking to me and it's really from that passage I really want to speak this morning again about a love that changes the world. And just to open that up to you, that was speaking to me on Sunday. And I was aware that on Monday evening, I was getting together with David Curtis and Aaron and James. We were having a get together to talk about what God is stirring up with evangelism. And what might God be saying to them and to us as a church? What might God be stirring up? And one of the things we came out of that with having a look at Romans 12, we spent some time looking at Romans 12 and talking and sharing our hearts. One of the things that come from that was an acknowledgement and a recognition that Romans 1 Corinthians 13 says, if we don't have love, we're just a noise. If we're not motivated by love for the world around us, then all of our efforts to share the gospel are just noise. Don't go anywhere. We've, we've got to be grounded and rooted in love like the expression on the front of the church says. I think it's still there on the archway, rooted and grounded in love. And so there was something we were talking about when we were together on Monday about realizing that as much as God calls them and he is calling you, just to let you know, he's calling you also to share your faith. I spoke for two weeks about evangelism and in some ways I'm kind of speaking about evangelism this morning, but I'm speaking about the foundation of it, which is love. As much as God has stirred up these guys and is stirring up our church to go and share Jesus with people around us, if it's not founded on love, then it's just a noise. And, and I felt, and I shared with the, the guys who were there, that there's a period of time that we as a church collectively are now walking into of preparation. Because I really do believe prophetically, and I think biblically as well, that, that until we fully receive the love of God, until we're fully overwhelmed and saturated in the love that the Father has from us. We go out and we minister in the flesh. And so I want to read to you from Romans 12, just four verses from Romans 12 that I want to focus our time on this morning. And it really starts to hit the nail on the head, I think. Despite the 1 Corinthians 13, I could have preached from that. But I think this is where it gets practical for us. Knowing that without love, we're just a clanging symbol. This is what Romans 12 9 to 13 says, don't, 
just pretend to love others. Don't just put the outer stuff on. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. I think there's so much in this passage and I want to encourage you to have it open in your Bibles or on your app because I'm going to take it off the screen and say it all starts with love. These words that we read, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And that's why I said at the beginning, I'm a little bit overwhelmed here because this isn't about teaching us about love. This is about really inhabiting love. It's not about here's how to do loving things and here's what love looks like on the outside. It's about a genuine internal change and impact and receiving from the kingdom of God that we're so overwhelmed with God's love that we can't help but love those around us. We need this genuine love. If you know any of your greek about love you'll know there are different words for love when we read the bible love sometimes it can be referring to different loves this love here about don't just pretend to love others is a, a greek word agape and it's the highest form of love it's the love that god has for us it's the love that we read out for god so loved the world that he gave his only son and and I don't think this morning is the answer. I think we are, I want to kind of signpost to you that I believe as a church and as individuals, we need to enter a season of desperately longing to know more about God's love. A real hunger and thirst for encountering God's love. To, so that we don't just pretend to love others. And I've got to be honest, if you're going to be mean to people, I'd rather you pretended to love them. Right, that's much nicer than being horrible to them. But really, God says, I don't want you just to pretend to love them. I want you to really, really love them. And love is such a deep internal thing. It's not a head thing. And, and there's something about, as we've experienced love, I think Annie spoke last week about when she was talking about you know, Father's Day and fatherhood and how our image of fathers are impacted by our fathers. And I don't have to be a psychologist, and you don't have to know much about the subject to know that the way that people parent their children is so much informed by the way they were parented, good and bad. The sort of habits and tricks, and that's why all of us who are my age, we realize we've turned into our parents. We start saying the things they said. We catch ourselves doing these things because we've been so impacted, because we know that the way that we are parented shapes the way that we parent. If you get married, the way that you see your parents love each other or not, the way you see their relationship impacted, will impact the way that you structure relationship and the way you understand that. We're so shaped by that. 
And the same is true here, that this love for others, when God says don't just pretend to love them, really love them, it's fundamentally shaped by how much we have experienced God's love. This love is so weirdly intentioned, I think. Just read these words again if you've got your Bible open. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. That's hard. Now I view it through, well actually let me put it through two lenses for me personally. When I, when I think about love in the natural, I think about a love of a father, so I think about my children, I think about the love for my wife. I love my wife and I hate the illnesses that cripple her body. I love my children. And I remember sometimes, at, at various times, a couple of my children went through real dark depression or anxiety and I hated to see the way that was gripping them, but I loved my children. When we're deeply in love with someone, we're able to still love the people while seeing stuff around the outside that go, that's just ruining their life. But we don't hate the people. And there's something here that God says, when we are captured by his love, when we realize how much he loves us and says, that sin has got to go, child. It's, it's killing you. But he still loves us. We don't experience the rejection of the Father because of all the junk that we have in our life. We experience the receiving of his love whilst he goes, can I sort that out for you? When we genuinely have an encounter with that, we're able to minister out in the same way that we can see a world around us that goes, that is ruining your life, but I love you. Now, it's, it's interesting. I, I wrote this sermon of, you know, this week, and, um, and then we went to the cinema last night, and we watched a film, uh, me, Karen, uh, Wendy, and Eloise, and it was a film called Jesus Revolution. And it was, uh, it's not around for long, so if you missed it, you probably missed it, but it'll come around on DVD or Netflix or whatever at some point. I really would encourage you to watch it. And it was a story of a church, Calvary Chapel, that um, was bumping up against culture, was bumping up against what was happening in America at the time, the large hippie movement, where there was a lot of anxiety in their nation about war with Vietnam and a lot of that kind of aggression going on whilst also this hippie movement was rising about love not war and in the midst of that all these hippies were trying to discover a new way to do life and we're finding that through free love and through drugs and through kind of just contemplating the universe and within that this church started to reach out to this movement of young people saying there's something better than the love you think you're talking about it's the love of the father and in that, it started a, a revolution. It started a, a revival. There's a world around us that's so searching, so searching for meaning and purpose. And there's a, there's a, a, there's a revolution going on in our culture. This is, I want life to be the way, this, the way that the society is. There's a, there's a divide going on within the rich and the poor and the, the capitalism and people are going, can we have a more sense of justice? There's those who don't care about the environment and those who say this planet matters. There's these gaps going on in our culture. And the church needs to rise up and say, God is the answer. And his love changes everything. And I don't, I don't know how we do that other than waiting on him. I think it starts with a hunger and a thirst, a stirring. It moves me on to verse 11, where he says, Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. This challenge within here is like saying, 
don't just sit back passively. Don't, don't sit back and go, well, God's going to do it all. Don't be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. This serving with joy, this hunger. And I see it in our church. I've seen it happen in a few different places in a few different ways. I see a stirring going up where people are, are getting stirred up for different things right now. Some people are getting stirred up to go out on the streets. Some people are getting stirred up as followers of Jesus, saying, I want to follow him more deeply. Some people are getting stirred up to pray more consistently. Some people are getting stirred up to understand his word more. There's a stirring that's going on. And in the nicest possible way, with the words of Romans, I would say, don't be lazy. Don't sit back. There's work to do. There's work for the kingdom of God. And the fascinating thing is, the word work has a whole bunch of baggage for us. You know, many of you work, or you have worked, or you've been in a workplace, you know what the word work means. You think about a boss, and a task, and deadlines, and pressure, and, you know, all the different things that go on in workplaces. But, you know, in, in, in Jesus' words, he said, there's a different form of way of doing work with me. So I'll read this to you. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And I've appointed and placed and purposely planted you so that you would go and bear fruit and keep on bearing fruit and that your fruit will remain and be lasting so that wherever you ask the Father in my name as my representative, he may give to you. This is what I command you, that you love and unselfishly seek the best for one another. We just keep these words up for a little bit longer. See that I have appointed you and placed you and purposefully planted you. This is the Amplified version. We've been studying in the Amplified in Jan's house on Wednesday. On, and we've just been exploring how the Amplified often brings out some of these meanings of words that I have appointed you. You've been appointed and placed and purposefully planted where you are that you would bear fruit. That fruit looks like love. We've got a calling. You've got a calling and a purpose. And it's not just a general one. You've been placed, purposely placed where you are in the community that I spoke about earlier, the workplace you're in, the friends you're in, the people that you know that I don't know and that nobody else in this church knows because you have a connection with them, the family you're in, the neighbours you've got. You've been purposefully planted for a purpose. So don't, don't be lazy. Don't shirk back from that. We're there to bear fruit, fruit of love, that they would see love, that they would encounter the love of God that we encounter, that we help them to encounter, that they could go and encounter the love of God. There's this flowing of God's love. And, and this, this work is not like the world's work. Again, let me read to you the way Jesus described it from the message in Matthew 11. He says this, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Let me read that again. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
And I want to say, for me, and I am fairly confident I can say for every one of you, that is not our wholehearted experience. We experience heaviness and we can get burnt out. And we don't do these words. We don't come away with me. Get away with me. Come to me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Does anyone know how to take a real rest? Right? Really how to take a real rest? I don't mean you're waiting for next year's holiday. I mean you know how to rest in God. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And I want to say, I just think there's something about a hunger and a thirst that we need to allow to be stirred up within us that says, I'm meant to really experience more of God's love. I'm meant to experience more of doing it Jesus' way. I've got to be hungry and thirsty to receive that type of life where I know the unforced rhythms of grace, where I know so much of the Father's love that I can, you know, I don't find it hard to love my children and love my wife. Because that love takes hold of you. It doesn't mean you don't have difficult times, right? But I'm telling you, I don't find it hard. I don't have to struggle to love them. Because love takes hold of you. And I just, like I said, I, I, just, I, mean, I, I don't know why I'm preaching really. I haven't got enough words. There's an experience that we've got to hunger and thirst for in this church, in these gatherings, and in our private spaces, in our times alone that says, Lord, I'm crying out to know more of your love, to be broken by your love, to be overwhelmed by your love, to be transformed by your love, because as your love transforms me, that love transforms the world around me. That's how we impact a community with God's love. Not with theology, not with great words. Interestingly, not even with charity or kind acts, or prophecy, or miracles. None of those things matter if they're not based on love. That's what we read earlier in 1 Corinthians. All those great things you could go, isn't it amazing? We're doing this, that, and the other. It doesn't start there. It starts with an overflow of love. And when we, in this place, and in our homes, and in our private prayer spaces, and where you meet with God, whether it's in a field, on a country walk, in your prayer closet, on the toilet, in the shower, I don't care where you meet with God, we need to be overwhelmed by his love. And I think Dave said it this morning when he was up there, that, that we have to recognize that we ebb and flow. That we have to continually continually come back to God and say, I need, I need to experience more of your love. Because it's almost like we, we live with this colander. God pours love into us and it, it kind of leaks out of us. We need to have this hunger that says, I need to be continually flowing out of your love, God. To, keep, to be practical, I think there's a, just a, three keys in this passage we read. They're in verse 12. Three keys for love. They're so simple and so quick you can miss over them, but just pause for a moment and meditate on them. Verse 12 says, Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Rejoice, be patient, and keep on. I live in a, a Christian faith and a Christian experience where I've got things I can rejoice in God about. There's things I have to be patient about because they're not the way they're meant to be. And there's a consistent call for 
me to get on my knees and pray about the difference. We're not living an experience, and I don't believe anybody is, any church, any preacher, any Christian is living an experience where it's all over here in the rejoicing. You look hard enough, or maybe you don't even have to look that hard, you will see things that aren't right. And the challenge for us, the, the call for us, in order to experience this love more, in order to step into this, is to balance these three out. To be thankful, to rejoice in our confident hope. That's why we have Testimony Sunday. I've been so blessed by us creating this rhythm of Testimony Sunday. It's an opportunity for us to give thanks to God for what he's up to. To not miss the small things and the big things and the, and the moments that are happening and the end of the story and the beginning of the story to be thankful. And, and I want to encourage each and every one of you to build a rhythm into your life of thankfulness. So often we can be overwhelmed with the things that aren't going right. Be thankful. Rejoice in our confident hope. Even as you think about God's love, be thankful for the experience you've had of God's love. Meditate upon it. Ponder it. Allow it to fill your hearts and go, I'm seeing a bit of God's love there. That's amazing what God's done in my life or in my friend's life or in this testimony I've heard or this thing I've read. To be thankful for what God has done. To rejoice in our confident hope and to be patient in trouble. Has anyone got any trouble you need to be patient through at the moment? I bet you have. I so wish everything happened at the speed that I want it to. I so wish every prayer that I prayed would have an instant answer. And that's not to neglect it does happen. And, and maybe others have got a different testimony of seeing, you know, prayer after prayer after prayer being answered like that. I don't. The, the large majority of my Christian experience is not seeing the answers to prayers quickly. Some of them not seeing answers to the prayers at all. Not yet. Not in my lifetime. Not so far. And so whilst we have this rejoicing for what we see and what we hear, we are called to be patient in trouble. When it's hard to see God's love, when it's hard to make sense of it, when we're not seeing the breakthrough, when things are going backwards rather than forwards, when we have trials to endure, the challenge from the Word of God here, and my favourite verse in the Bible, Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season. We will reap a reward if we do not give up. The challenge and the call in plenty of other places is to keep on keeping on, to keep going, to be patient when we're not seeing it. And again, I, I want to say to you, I believe that there is a hunger that I have, that some of you have, and God wants to birth in all of us, to see God's love. And not just to see it, but I really do believe that God wants to pour out an experience of God's love because I think there's something about experiencing it that overwhelms us that breaks us that brings tears to our eyes and overwhelms us and while we don't see that and we're praying for it you've got to be patient you've got to keep going you're like God I really believe this is maybe this is just my prayer but I'm like God I really believe you want to pour out your love into the Oak Community Church in a way that we've never seen before 
I really believe you want to pour it out there. I really believe you want to break our hearts with your love so that we are changed, so that we can change the world around us. But I haven't seen it this week. I have to keep being patient. Because there's, and it's a whole other sermon that, that I certainly haven't prepared for, about waiting on God. Man, there's so much in the Word of God about waiting. About waiting on Him. Just waiting on God. Think about that passage, I think it's in Isaiah, where it says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. But it all started with those who wait. How long have I got to wait? Is it just a little while, Lord? Can it just be a short wait? Man, it's annoying when you wait, isn't it? You go to the doctors, you've got an appointment at 12 o'clock, if you get an appointment, if you're going to go see someone, right? Or anything else you've got an appointment for. I was there at 12, why weren't they? Why am I waiting? Yeah, right? It tries your patience, doesn't it? It's like, I was here, they said it would be a little wait. And what's worse is when everyone those signs up that says, the waiting time is 35 minutes. And you think, oh, cool. I can do 35. It gets to 45, and you're like, they said it was 35. It gets to two hours, 35, and you're like, they're taking the mick now. Be patient. Be patient. We all know how do we learn patient? <laughs> By waiting, don't we, right? It's the only way to learn it. Right? It's the only way to learn it. So be thankful for what God is doing, for where we're seeing his love, for the, for the amount of love we've experienced so far. And you have. You know God loves you. You know he does. You've got testimonies. We'll share some of them next week and in other weeks. We hear about God's love and how amazing he is. We're thankful for it. But we know, if we're honest, we haven't seen it all yet. And we're waiting and waiting, and I'm still waiting, God. And he says, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. I'm hoping Dave won't mind me sharing this. Dave had this uprising within him and said, we need to have a Friday evening prayer meeting. Oh, we haven't got enough prayer meetings, right? We've got to have a Friday one as well, right? That's great. I, and I said to David at the time, I said, no pastor can ever say, no, you're not allowed to pray. That's, that's in the rule book, right? You can't stop people praying, right? They want to pray, pray, right? So well, who am I to stand in the way of it? So Dave says he's got a, a vision for a prayer meeting, and so he names a date, and we start praying. And we have a little chat out of back the other day, and Dave says to me, what do you think the purpose of the Friday prayer meeting is? And I'm like, I don't know. It was your idea. <laughs> Right? But part of it was like, we know God wants to do something, what does he want to do? And one of the things we were talking about on Monday was in this waiting period, we believe that these guys are as, as street evangelists, but I really believe it's for us as a church that we're, we're going through a preparation period where God wants to fill us with his love. But one of the key purposes for the Friday prayer, and maybe for any prayer meeting we've got, is, is just crying out to God, saying, Lord, fill us with your love. Lord, pour it out. Pour out your spirit. Lord, we need more of you. Lord, I'm hard. I have a hard heart. I have people I find hard to love. People who annoy me. People I'm slow to share the gospel with because I'm not filled with your love. Lord, change me. Pour out your love, Lord. Keep on praying. Praying for a greater experience of God's love. Praying for a greater revelation of his love. Praying for my hardness to be broken and a softness to be created in me and in you and in us as a church. Keep on praying. You know, the, the, 
This sermon I said, it's a love that changes the world. This love does change the world. Look at history. <laughs> Some people in an upper room praying and waiting on God get filled with the Spirit and go out evangelize. They start to take the gospel around the world. This film I saw the other night, you know, the little small church started to embrace God's love and a, a revival breaks out. Those who know your church history have got much better stories you can tell than me of different opportunities where God has poured out and changed nations and changed communities and changed lives. Because his love gets poured out. This is a love. Oh, I'm going to say this is a love that we have hardly seen. In our church. And that's not to say, like I said, I'm rejoicing in what I have seen. But I'm hungry for more. And you follow any revival story. You follow any church that's broken out into the world around it. It's, it's birthed in an outpouring of God's love and his spirit. What difference it can make when love takes hold of us? What would it look like? What would the world see here? What would the world see when they step into this church, when we are so overwhelmed with God's love? How might it change you and change me? And change me, I really believe, change me. Right? I'm, not, I'm preaching from a place of hunger. I'm, I'm preaching from a place of lack. It's like, I need more of this, God. I'm not saying I've received this habit from me. I'm saying, can we go away to the Father's foot and say, Lord, fill our, fill our hearts and fill our church with your love. What would it look like? The love that would change the world around us. And, it, and I, I, there's something about receiving the love of the Father. There's something about embodying the love of the Father in our church. And there's something about showing it to the world around us. I'm back to my up in and out that I preached a number of years ago, or maybe it was a year ago, it feels like ages ago, right? There's this upwards bit where we, we experience the love of God between God to us, but it also manifests itself in our body, the way we love each other. And let's be honest, right? I don't want to break any illusions here. I know there's people out there who are hard to love. There's people in here who are hard to love. Some people love them dearly. Others, they wind them up and they rub them up the wrong way. Maybe I'm one of them. Maybe you're like, man, he's hard to love. I don't know, right? That's the body. We're placed amongst people where some we're just drawn to and attracted. And like, can I do anything for them? How can I help them? Oh, they've got a need. Oh, they put on Facebook. They've got this thing they need. How can I help? Can I text them, phone them? Can I do something for you? And others are like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. They have to fend for themselves. What do we read at the end of this passage, verse 13? When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. When God's, it's fascinating, isn't it, right? Because I do believe this is an outward-facing word, but it, he's saying you've got to embody it in, in your body of believers. When You've got to embody it here that we show hospitality. And if I'm honest, I think COVID kind of killed a lot of this. We kind of got into a place where we're in our own homes and we connect a little bit over social media and over Zoom and over text, but we kind of retreat into our homes. And that's happened across our, our, our country, across the culture, and it's happened with us. And I think God, one of the things that God wants to stir up is actually that we show hospitality. And I don't mean we're inhospitable, but it's just not on our radar. Just think about it. Other than your close friendship group, when was the last time you intentionally contacted someone who's not that close to you but in the church and said 
Do you want to have a coffee? Or should we go out for dinner? Or do you want to come over or cook for you? Or should we go for a picnic or anything? It's kind of out of our rhythm. We're so busy. And we are busy. We're busy people. And, 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 and you don't even have to be busy. You can fill your time with all manner of stuff. But these words in here that says, be ready to help them, that's a preparation word. Be ready. You know, if you... The, the COVID inquiry is going on at the moment, isn't it, right? And they're talking about, was the country ready for a pandemic? A lot of what they're looking at at the moment, as I understand, I don't follow that closely, is talking about what was happening before it even happened. Were we ready? So this be ready is about us being ready. It's not like do it now. It's like make space in your life. Create some margin so that we're not so busy and so full up that we can't accommodate. When someone says, I need a bit of help, we go, I'd love to help, but I'm just so busy at the moment. And so I want to encourage us to have a hunger for God's love and to start to put it into practice in the way that we love one another. Because there's nothing like rubbing up against things that are hard to do for God to show us where his love isn't taking root in our life. And, and so if I was to give you two things to take away, one would be have a hunger for God's love. Acknowledge whether you do or don't or how deep that hunger is and come before God and say, Lord, either, Lord, would you birth a hunger much deeper in me because I'm kind of blasé about the whole thing. Or if you are hungry, say, say God, I'm hungry for your love. Would you fill me love? And, and wait on him. Pursue that love. Seek to love. And the second thing would be, why don't you make a date with someone? Get out of your diary today with someone and say, I know it sounds a bit false because Trev said I meant to do this, right? I do genuinely love you, but we don't spend a lot of time together. Can I have a coffee? Or we should really get our families together. Or can we come over for dinner? Or can you come over to us? Or I haven't got a clue how to cook, so we'll have to go and buy something or have a takeaway. I don't know, right? Practice hospitality. Be ready and eager to help. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and Karen and said, when you move in, we're there to help. And I know Annie's had the same. I'm pretty sure that's not everybody's experience. Everyone's eager to help us, and that's lovely, you know. But, but we should be eager to help everyone. And if we're honest, we know we're not. And I know I'm not. Because I'm not broken with God's love. Lord, thank you that you loved us first. We didn't love you first, Lord. You loved us. Thank you that you always make the first move. But while we were still sinners, you sent your son. While we were still sinners, you sent your son to die for us. While we were lost, you came. You made the first move. And Lord, we're asking again, Lord, would you do that again? Would you make the first move? Would you pour out your love in an overwhelming way? In a way that transforms our heart for others? so that we can show your love to the world around us. Lord, nothing I can do can impact this community. The circles that you've placed me in, nothing I can do can make that impact, but your love in me can change everything. So help us, Lord. Help us to love you, to love the world, to receive your love. And even in this very room, Lord, help us to love each other and to practice hospitality and be ready to help. 
Lord, may the way your love takes root in this church be an unmistakable evidence to the world around us that you love this world, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.